this week on This Week in Blurns Ball. Biodome, buddy. There ain't no rule saying a dog can't play baseball. Go and vet NASA and tell them to get off their fannies. Welcome to This Week in Blurns Ball, where we've all eaten a nibbler's amount of dinner. I'm your co-host, Ben Bloom, and with me, as always, is Jacob Morris. And besides Niblonian dietary habits, we finally have some baseball news to break us out of this pandemic coping mechanism. Well, I, for one, am stuffed from the Feast of a Thousand Hams. But, uh, (laughs) yes, it's good that, uh, unlike our bracketology which although fun is the thumb-sucking blanky equivalent of baseball uh it's nice that we have news so ken rosenthal dropped a bomb on us this morning in his article in the athletic where he said the potential uh lake havasu classic if you will might be too small in what terms of what mlb is looking at so a couple of weeks ago it looked like they'd start the season under quarantine in arizona then maybe there'd be the three-state solution. Now they're looking at something that looks like 10 to 12 states, as many as 20 home parks for the start. Or they'd start in Florida, Texas, Arizona, play for four or five weeks, and then look at the viability of playing in other states. Uh, this seems crazy to me. Does this not seem crazy to you? <laughs> I'm frankly still shocked that like these ideas are even being considered at this point in time. Like, from everything I've seen with the other pro sports leagues, it's, you know, June 1st as an earliest for teams maybe possibly getting together. I mean, getting things started, like, there, there are still places that, you know, even from a non-sports perspective, these, state, these states aren't fully up and running yet. They, they're still in lockdown mode. Despite a couple of, you know, rebel governors trying to kickstart things, they're ending up kicking themselves. Like, it's, 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 it's unsafe. And if, like, if I'm a player, I'm like, I'm not setting foot out of my house until I know that my health is guaranteed. Yeah. Now, we're not public health experts. And Rosenthal did say that. Re- oh, well. There we go, Ben, public health expert on the podcast. Uh, But Rosenthal did say the realistic expectation for opening day would be sometime between mid-June and the 4th of July. Uh, 80 to 100 game regular season schedule goes through mid-October. But it it seems like this would kind of give us that range of time where maybe things normalize a little. Things kind of start to open. We saw here in Ontario yesterday there was a roadmap for this is how things will start to open up eventually. And maybe professional sports is part of that window. It's part of that, hey, look, things are starting to be normal again. There's this 
you know, bread and circuses kind of thing, uh, where we have the circuses going on, but it's behind closed doors and you can watch it on TV. And to your point about Ontario, like the, uh, the Ontario government's uh, framework is undated. Like they did that specifically because they need to see, you know, decreases in numbers of cases. And even like I went through the framework yesterday, pro sports are still at the bottom of their priority list, which uh, like it, it's understandable because that is, you know, it's it's an open invitation for crowds of people even if even if there are no fans in attendance you still have two full teams two full organizations in a relatively like can not confined but in the same space with minimal distancing unless everyone plays an exaggerated shift fair enough yeah. uh, i think perhaps what hockey is looking at might be the best approach where it's centralized cities uh and you could set up essentially baseball city uh, and you have everybody come together in a joint quarantine, and once they've cleared that quarantine, that gives you the best possible idea of, okay, everybody is clean, everybody is safe in here, and we can play games where everybody is in this quarantine zone. It would just need buy-in from, you know, the players' associations, which I'm sure a lot, I'm sure there are a lot of players who do want to play in, have a chance at you know at like earning their full salary but it's also difficult because there are going to be a lot of guys who are going to be hesitant to be away from their families even um like i saw a video of mike trout saying you know like my wife is expecting i don't want to what am i gonna to have to be away for two weeks like just in order to, to see the birth of my first child like like, like in the sense that he would have to be quarantined, then be able to see his child. Yeah, that that would be difficult for a lot of the guys. And then there's the question of, well, do you allow families into the quarantine zone? And that makes it even bigger, and that makes it even more risky. Uh, and again, not public health experts, except for Ben. Uh, so who knows how they would establish all of this? Well, I actually do have a solution as a public health expert. Myself and my colleague, Dr. Paul E. Shore... I've developed a biodome, buddy. <laughs> ah, yes, the biodome solution. And uh, I think on that note, we can turn our attention to the other piece of baseball-adjacent news that we had this week. Uh, and it brings back our recurring segment, UniWatch, brought to you by Paul Lucas. UniWatch! Uh, so we had... For those who get it. We had a little bit of retro UniWatch news this week. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a uh, little bit of backstory to this. In 1976, we came within 24 hours of the San Francisco Giants moving to Toronto. There was an agreement in place. There was a buyer set up. And then at literally the 11th hour, uh, San Francisco came through with a local buyer who kept the team in San Fran rather than them moving to Toronto and playing at Exhibition Stadium. Uh, and instead, because of this, uh, the Blue Jays came to be. But because we were so, so close, there were plans for uniforms and whatnot drawn up that were going to be unveiled at a press conference that never happened the day later. Uh, and now, all these years later, the son of the guy that designed the uniforms has brought forward notes and sketches and recollections, and a rendering of these uniforms has been put together. And they're not good. They're not. 
they're they're really not. I mean, like it's it's the word Toronto done in the Giants' uh, piratey stylized script, really small, overlaid over the normal Giants script. It looks it looks pushed down. It looks kind of bush league, and above all, like you lose like the like like the majesty of one of baseball's great uniforms even at a time where in the 70s they had like funky cursive v-neck bright orange like this one sort of no it doesn't it, it doesn't look good it doesn't look right i mean like if baseball came to toronto a year earlier like that i sure would have been like a timeline altering moment but i think the fact that toronto ended up getting its own team with its own identity even if you know they were lousy for a good stretch also new york can have giants san francisco can have giants tokyo can have gyojin toronto get your own damn thing yeah i i think that's fair and also the hat logo was just not good the interlocking t and g uh, T is just not a letter that is made to interlock. Uh, the twins have the TC logo, but uh, even that doesn't work terribly well. And even the, even in like Giants history, like the G, other than the Yomiuri Giants, like when they added the YG, which looks you know cool because you know Japan does cool things. It's always been NY when they were in New York, SF were, and they were in San Francisco. Like, the only person who would wear, like, the letter G Giants hat was Willie Mays, who would wear the mid-2000s spring training hat all the time. Yeah. And, like, that's, that's like, one of my favorite uni quirks is that, like, Willie Mays actively wears a hat that he was nowhere close to actually wearing. <laughs> Willie Mays does what Willie Mays wants. Willie Mays is the greatest of all time. Agreed. And on that note... Well, we've we've firmly established Willie Mays is the greatest of all time, and Piznanski agrees. I think we move to baseball movies. I think so as well. I mean, once again, for those of you who listened to that last week's podcast and were worried about our friendship, we're good. We're good. It's my my therapist says it's healthy to you know express my feelings, even when my feelings are shouted down by society. Yes, that my therapist agrees that it is healthy to express my feelings and uh, sometimes to shut down feelings that are wrong. Are our therapist lawyers? What the hell is going on here? So, this week we're <laughs> going to round out round one. And then that means that next week we can move on to the second round where we're going to dig more into depth about these movies. Um, Absolutely. And there will be more emotions. <laughs> All of the emotions. But this week, we have some really good matchups. Uh, where do you want to start this week, Ben? Well, I really want to start with a matchup that... You know, I think we have a couple of matchups that if we do back-to-back at the end, I think would make you know sense in terms of comedic value. So I say we start off with the 4 versus 13 matchup of Pride of the Yankees against Little Big League. Oh boy, so that is, uh, these are two movies that are thematically about as different as you can get. Absolutely. And just everything from historical significance to when they were made to the audiences they were made for. I mean, funny enough, even with Little Big League coming out 
near enough to the time when we were kids. I'm pretty sure Pride of the Yankees was one of the first baseball movies I've ever seen. Interesting, because you were definitely not the target audience for it when you were seven. <laughs> that is true, but most of the things I saw as a seven-year-old were not intended for seven-year-olds. That sounded bad, but I'm going to blow right past it. So Pride of the Yankees, it's Gary Cooper as Lou Gehrig telling the Lou Gehrig story. And it goes through, you know, his early life, his career with the Yankees, and then the end of his career. And you have, like, one of the great moments in sports history captured in cinematic, like, captured for cinema, which is the luckiest man speech, uh, the day where Lou Gehrig retired and... You know, I, I, I just love that movie. Even even though Lou Gehrig was a Yankee, and I hate the Yankees, like, you, you couldn't help but root for someone like Gehrig, like, who just through and through, like, you you could, you sensed he was a good person, and he just, like, just really loved the game, you know, like, was a good teammate, you know, had to deal with that pain in the ass hitter ahead of him, and, you know, did something that... Like did had an accomplishment that you know stood for years and years and years. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Garrett was one of the greats, and Gary Cooper does a really terrific job of capturing the spirit of Lou Gehrig in that movie. And it also has one of like two of my favorite you know bits of cinema trivia. Uh, the first being that you know they they had to film it in reverse because Gary Cooper batted right-handed and then they just flipped it. So they had, they had Gary Cooper, you know, swing the bat and then run to third base. And then they just flipped it in post. And then there's a scene early on in the movie where Lou Gehrig's a kid and they're trading baseball cards in the neighborhood. And one of the other kids in the neighborhood says, Babe Ruth, he's a rookie and tears up the card. And I'm like, no, don't do that. That's so much money. And yeah, it's, like that luckiest man speech, you know, like for as much of a historical event that was, that movie I think made it more well known. Uh, yeah, I would I would say that much that it really made it known to everybody rather than just the baseball community. Yeah, that, that that's a better way of phrasing it. Uh, so. I think we've done Pride of the Yankees uh, quite a bit of justice in even the short time we've devoted to it. Shall we talk yes. Little Big League? Uh, Another movie which I enjoy. It's a really fun movie. Yeah, it is. Now, if we leave out all of the issues with, you know, the CBA would rise with that. Uh, so the owner <laughs> cannot be the manager. Let's let's just start with that. The The Players Association would have such an issue with that. Ain't no rule saying a dog can't play baseball. That's a different movie, isn't it? It is a different movie. How did we not have Air Bud on this? Because we would have just given it the title right off the bat because he's such a good boy. He's a good Air Bud. He's such a good boy. He's an Air Bud. <laughs> See, we, 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 couldn't, we, couldn't, we couldn't be objective. That's fair. So, yeah, there's no rule saying a dog can't play baseball, but there's a very explicit rule saying that the owner cannot interfere in players' in players' relations. And in relationships, which we'll get to at a later part of the plot. Oh, yeah. Where the third baseman's dating his mom? That's just weird. 
I mean, like that just seems like something you wouldn't do in a workplace if you know, like, like you don't date your boss's mom. Well, I mean, if you're in a position to date your boss's mom, you're in an odd workplace. Let's just start with that. Yeah, let's start with that. But really, the crux of the story is, you know, like a kid's grandfather, you know, gives him the Minnesota Twins after he dies and so suddenly you have a 12 year old who owns the minnesota twins and was dennis farina the manager to begin with who then gets fired by the 12 year old that sounds right i think it was dennis farina oh man i love dennis farina he's he had that great chicago accent he just talked like he was always a but go get an italian beef <laughs> yeah uh yeah so leaving out the fact that the kid was 12, the team would have been put in a trust until the time that he turned 21. He owns the team, he decides to manage the team, and then because there's a kid managing the team who's 12, and apparently is really smart at baseball strategy, he gets them... Billy Haywood knows what Billy Haywood wants. Yeah, he gets them to within a game of winning the division. And the thing is, for the time this was made, this isn't like a sad sack Cleveland team. This is a recent world champion Minnesota Twins squad. Like the movie came out in '94, they won in '91 with Jack Angry Mustache Morris. Yeah. So that's also another question. What do you do that all of this team is all of a sudden bad in this movie where they had just recently won the World Series? They like this team had obviously been pretty badly mismanaged within this universe. I mean, it is the AL Central, so nothing surprises me. <laughs> but, I mean, I personally would have loved to have seen Kirby Puckett in place of Lou Collins for the romantic interest, but the universe doesn't work out that way. Does not, I don't think Kirby Puckett could act particularly well. Or I, I'm pretty sure he could. Like You see him jumping around the bases. He's got range, man. He got range. He got range. Well, the way he could hit, I don't put anything past him. And you know what? This is like one of those like fun '90s kids movies where, you know, like the kid gets ridiculous responsibilities, has fun, makes mistakes, learns a lesson along the way. It, it was a recipe for success. I mean, think of some of the movies we've talked about in this bracket, like Rookie of the Year. This is a common trope in sports movies. I mean, without this, there's no like Mike. Oh. Which, of course, now is being, you know, overshadowed by the Last Dance documentary. Turns out we really want to be like Mike, you know, with the, the private jets and the mansions and having Dennis Rodman as your buddy. Yeah, that we all really want to be like Mike. Although that movie came out when Michael Jordan was retired for the second time. So how would he have been like Mike if Mike was not doing Mike stuff? But that's besides the point. <laughs> that's besides the point. I mean, I love that they got to go inside the old uh, Metrodome and it's like the big garbage bag outfield wall. And it, 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 it's a nice, fun movie, but it's going up against, you know, know like a, a cinematic giant. And like, that, that's, that, that's a tough matchup. Like the Minnesota Twins in Little Big League, I think it falls just short. Ooh. And like the Minnesota Twins in real life, 
the Yankees knocked them out of the playoffs. There we go. So, pride of the Yankees, moving on. Pride of the Yankees, moving on. And that gives us pride of the Yankees against Homer at the bat. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And if you remember the episode where Homer becomes uh, dancing Homer, and he gives the Lou Gehrig speech and then strips over the dugout. Okay, so moving across the bracket to our other number 413 matchup, we've got Bad News Bears against The Catcher Was a Spy. Now this one, in my head, this one's a wash. Partly because, you know, I thought The Catcher Was a Spy came up short given the incredible source material it had, but also because George Bizet's Carmen beats everything else. I'll stop singing. Yeah, we've established that we should not sing on this podcast. And I don't know about you, but, like, again, Bad News Bears, a movie that I shouldn't have been shown as a child, but was because, oh, it's a kid's movie. Oh, my God, it is not. It is not a kid's movie. It is not a kid's movie. It is a movie starring kids. And, of course, Walter Matthau, the world's greatest curmudgeon. Yeah. Oh, my God. But again, I saw Bad News Bears way too young. I saw it way too young. Uh, but it was it is phenomenal. You can take this trophy and shove it up your ass? Oh, my goodness. What a, what a closing. <laughs> oh, lupus. <laughs> there was a kid named Lupus. Like. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Lupus. Uh, yeah, the, uh, that movie does not get made today. There's absolutely no way a movie in that vein gets made today. A kid, the, 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 kid, the Little League team is sponsored by Chico's Bail Bonds. And remember, there was a remake, and it neutered it. It was, it was sad to see the remake. It was, and I mean, Billy Bob Thornton, like, I objectively like him as an actor. He's not Walter Matthau, but he can sort of grumble his way through stuff, but that movie had no teeth. Like, Bad News Bears, again, not a kid's movie. Walter Matthau went blue as fuck with it, and Morris Buttermaker is one of the all-time great managers in movie history. Yeah, uh, I would agree to all of those things. Walter Matthau is is the all-time great curmudgeon in movies. I mean, it's... It, and just seeing, like, a movie like that, I mean, everything from, like, the old-timey beer to, you know, like, children smoking and riding motorcycles, like, mostly Kelly Leak. Kelly Leak underappreciated child athlete. Yeah, oh man. It, that that's the next bracket we got to do, the child athlete bracket. Oh yeah, because children need to compete against each other for our love. <laughs> exactly. How else do we value children other than as other than their athletic ability? It's for our love. They we love them because they are good athletes. <laughs> Lisa gets to sit in the front seat because she's better at sports. Exactly. And bad news bears, it's become a it's it's become a like a it's become a cultural phrase. Like 
It's become like everything you associate with lovable losers, ragtag bunch of misfits. Like Bad News Bears is like it's culturally it's a cultural phenomenon. It's it's it's, it's what the, everyone, it's the touchstone. For, it's entered the zeitgeist. Yes, whatever that means. German ghost word. <laughs> no, and it's it's a classic coming of age film. It's. It, I don't even think we have to talk that much about The Catcher Was a Spy. I mean, it's a great story. It's an absolutely phenomenal piece of source material. Uh, and they skim over so much of what made the piece of source material great. You said you said it phenomenally at the beginning there. Uh, Paul Rudd's great. I like Paul Rudd as an actor. Uh, and he gives I like it Paul all. Rudd, too. He gives it his all, but he doesn't have much to work with. Uh, we have Which to is unfortunate. We have to give this one to Bad News Bears. Hey, look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Okay, so moving up, we're going to stick to the right side of the bracket. We've got 61 against Angels in the Outfield, the Disney remake. So this is the only, now, again, is the only movie that did not have a theatrical release, 61. This is an HBO special. And I think that adds to its mystique because, I mean, our oft-quoted athletic best sports movie rankings doesn't include 61 asterisk because, I mean, like, that just adds asterisk upon asterisk. And, like, first off, Billy Crystal really should do more directing if this is what he can do. Like, this this was an incredible movie. Yeah. Jeez, it brings the summer of 61 chase to life uh i had read about it i'd heard about it but i didn't really appreciate mantle and maris until i saw this movie i didn't know who roger maris was until i saw this movie i find that hard to believe granted i was like seven or eight when i saw this movie <laughs> there we go another movie you saw too young yes <laughs> and it like it, it has everything you want. It's got, you know, like the leading man, the introvert. It's got the evil organization and the scheming people behind the scenes to thwart the heroes. Like, and it's got, you know, like historical nugget after one liner after like like real drama and, you know, it was a really exceptional movie. It had a lot of heart in it. Because, like, you got to see a side of Mickey Mantle that, you know, people who grew up with the Mick didn't see until later in life. Which was, like, he was a pretty tortured guy. Yeah, he was. Uh, and if this is really what he went through in the summer of 61, that's that's a tough thing that he did while chasing the Babe Ruth record. That was one of the sacred records in baseball. And then you have Roger Maris who, like... You can't help but root for him because, like, all he wants to do is just go to the ballpark and play. Like, he's like he's like the proto Kawhi Leonard. He's like he doesn't care about the flashy stuff. Like, like not like he like he ends up coming out of his shell a bit thanks to thanks to his friendship with Mantle, and you know, like he endears himself to his team because you know he's. He's he's a hell of a ball player. The opening scene, like he he won the MVP the year before with the Kansas City Athletics. I mean, first off, Kansas City Athletics, R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, but yeah, like he really, like you feel so gutted for for Maris because of like every everyone and everything working against him except for the guys in that clubhouse. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal story of these two guys and the relationship between the two of them. Uh, and it's going up against. You know, a childhood classic, Angels in the Outfield, the Disney version. Now, this movie is phenomenally cast. You've got Danny Glover as George Knox, the Angels manager. You've got Tony Danza as the lead uh, lead player on the on the Angels. He's the pitcher. You've got Christopher Lloyd as the Angel. You've got a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the kid. Like, this movie, this cast has a lot going for it. I know, and it's technically both a Back to the Future Part 4 and a Third Rock from the Sun prequel series. Uh, sequel series. It's what happens after they leave Joseph Gordon-Levitt behind on Earth. Oh. Whoa. Because he's a Inception. And, and then he becomes uh, Robin in the third Dark Knight movie. Exactly. Uh... Is this also Lethal Weapon 6, or is that just reserved for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? That is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And again, it follows a fun premise. What if the Anaheim Angels had help from actual angels? They were the California Angels at this point. That's how long ago this movie was. That's right. Oh my god, they, that, they were the California Angels at that point still. And this is when Disney owned them. And at the time, Disney also owned the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, the Disney gave up their sports properties. It always makes me a little bit sad. There was so much corporate synergy they could have had going on there, and they just wasted it. And as soon as Disney gives up their ownership, they start winning. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And also, they get rid of the fun names. Uh, the Mighty Duck yeah. of Anaheim became the Anaheim Ducks. And they went from an awesome logo to a crappy logo. And then the California Angels became the Anaheim Angels, became the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, became New Jersey Devils. Doesn't work. Does not work. And, and of course, Angels would live in Southern California, and the Devil lives in New Jersey. Uh, yeah, of course. Where else do you think hell would be? Ah, <laughs> uh, Futurama. And again, it's a fun movie. It's got, you know, like the heartwarming kids angle. But 61 is one of my favorite personal movies of all time. And, I, and it's like, it, it stands alone as like a great drama with baseball as well as a baseball drama. Yeah, and I love Angels in the Outfield. It was one of my first baseball movies that I ever saw. I think I watched it until the table wore out. Uh, but, you know, I gotta give this one to 61, uh, and, you know, I will, I will give this one to 61 because we didn't give you Fever Pitch last time, if nothing else. How dare you? How dare you bring up the memory of our Consolation Bracket champion? Yes, they definitely win the, the Repishage. Ah, uh, Repishage. Now that's a fun word. <laughs> Repichage. Oh, French. It's French for can't quite hack it. <laughs> and then, 
finally, we've got a league of their own against the original version of Angels in the Outfield. That's right. I, it was a remake, guys. Proof that nothing in Hollywood is original. I mean, I remember the first time I saw the original Angels in the Outfield. I thought it was just some weird Turner classic movie. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Why is he wearing a Pittsburgh Pirates suit? Why is he talking to God while wearing a... Is this Angels in the Outfield with the Pittsburgh Pirates? It was just weird, man. <laughs> I remember first seeing this movie like, wait a minute. Is, is, is Doc going to come back in a DeLorean into like old-timey Pittsburgh and get the 1.21 gigawatts to eventually scout Roberto Clemente? Like, what the, what the hell are we watching here? Yeah, and it gets weird and Christy, and it's, it, it's an unusual movie. It is. And, I mean, Pittsburgh sports teams needed a lot of help from external powers in that era. There was around the same time as A Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> oh, man, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. That was such... Yes, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. A Fish Called Wanda was John Cleese. Yes. Calling you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. <laughs> yes. Um, and that was a great underappreciated movie as well. <laughs> it was. It really was. But yeah, uh, Angel's original is weird. It's weird to see, especially having seen the Disney version first. And it's like, it's dark. Like, I guess religions are that, like, you know, God can't save everyone. Or I don't know. Like, it was... It was it was weird, man. It was it was disconcerting to watch that movie. It's disconcerting to watch a lot of movies from the fifties. It's that I don't know. I, uh, Rashomon holds up. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember it the same way. <laughs> Who'd have thought we'd have sunk so low as to get a Rashomon joke in? <laughs> I kind of saw it coming, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, and we have the original Angels in the Outfield going up against an all-time classic, A League of Their Own. Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, there's no crying in baseball! It's It's got Rosie O'Donnell, it's got Madonna, like, remember, Madonna was, like, an actor. Yeah. And, and a and, good actor. Yeah, and this movie was excellent. It told a great story and had, you know, phenomenal casting. It had Tom Hanks peeing, which he does in every movie. Yeah, that's a weird thing he does. And also, never get on a vehicle with Tom Hanks. You're going to get in trouble. Yeah. He usually pees. <laughs> that too. Uh, like, but again, he's American male sweetheart. <laughs> he is. Uh, I think this one's a walkover. I think so, too. And the craziest part was, this wasn't even Tom Hanks' best movie of that era. Maybe even of that year, depending on what was filmed that year. Yeah. Oh, man. This was Tom Hanks at peak Tom Hanks. This was when he was doing Forrest Gump. This was when he was doing Philadelphia. This, this was just... He was unstoppable during that era. And that's not to say he's not a terrific actor now. It's just... Oh. Bill is always and forever. Yeah, this was just, he was running roughshod over the box office then. And the thing is, like, he like he, he picks his spots in this movie. He lets the Rockford Peaches shine for who they are. He 
like the the right like the movie itself like stands alone as you know like a really like entertaining poignant movie and then tom hanks just he shows up he does his tom hanks thing it's great yeah you didn't need to have Tom Hanks in that role for it to be a great movie, but the fact that Tom Hanks was in that role puts the movie over the top to make it an excellent movie. And having Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks as your X Factor, that's going to be some serious cred coming up later on in the bracket. So with that, we actually have our second round set up. Mind if I run through the matchups? Go ahead. Okay, so starting off in the top left, we have Field of Dreams going up against Sugar, which was our big upset from the first round. Sugar took out Moneyball, for those of you who uh, are just joining us. That one is going to be very interesting. After that, we have the Sandlot in a controversial win going up against A League of Their Own. Again, this one is going to be a tough debate because... You have two excellent baseball movies in their own right going head-to-head. You've then got Pride of the Yankees versus Homer at bat. I mean, are the Simpsons one and done? Like, can, can they survive the majesty of Gary Cooper? Then, of course, there's Mr. 3000 versus The Natural. I'm scared for that one. That one, yeah. Um, you've got Bull Durham versus 42. Again, this one could be over by the first inning. You've got The Rookie versus 61. I feel like a lot of heels are going to be dug in on that one. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings. There are. Uh, then you've got Bad News Bears versus Bang the Drum Slowly, which, you know, if you want a 70s heavyweight bout, you've got it right there. You've got... That's, You've got Brian Song versus Slapshot, pretty much. That's like Rocky that, versus Apollo Creed. That is... That's Rocky versus Taxi Driver, to be honest. Yeah, that is Rocky versus Taxi Driver. <laughs> and then you got For Love of the Game versus Major League, and it's like, oh shit, we're going to be... Let, we're going to be down one Kevin Costner movie. Yeah. No, Kevin Costner's not in Major League. He's in For Love of the Game. Yes. But we're not necessarily going to be down. A, we're going to be down a Costner movie. Are we though? Dun, dun, dun. This is why we debate. This is why we debate. It's going to get intense. There are going to be more hurt feelings, and it's going to scientifically asterisk prove which is the greatest baseball movie of all time ever. Asterisk. So, Man, who knew that asterisk would be the most helpful thing we have? <laughs> right? I know. It's just like the Home Run King asterisk, Barry Bonds. <laughs> so, on that note, we're going to move on to our classic game pick of the week. Ben? Alright, this week for my classic game of the week, I am going with Game 6 of the 1975 World Series. Red Sox versus the Big Red Machine. Carlton Fisk going, yeah, yeah, yay! Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. But, unfortunately, Game 7 does not go the Red Sox way. That's why we're not watching Game 7. We're watching Game (laughs) 6. Yes, the fun-ending game. 
Yes. Uh, and for my choice, I pick... Uh, it's an esoteric game, but it is September 23rd, 2003. Jay's Devil Rays, because there was still the Devil Rays at that point. Uh, the game is almost entirely meaningless in the standings. The Jays are already too far out of it to catch the wild card. Uh, they win 10-8. to eight. Carlos Delgado hits four home runs in four at-bats. Nice. He, he is one of only 18 guys ever to do that, and he's the only player ever to hit four home runs in a game when he only had four plate appearances. Man, Carlos Delgado was a lot of fun to watch back in the day. <laughs> he was. Now, did you know for that game, he was actually sick that day? He had a cold, and he took Flu a game. nap before he played. Flu game. Flu Gives game, people man. special powers. Yeah. And so, oh, that, that games, is that is that, those are a couple of great games to watch. And he bounced the ball off the Windows restaurant during that game. Yeah, remember when that was a thing? Yeah. No, I do appreciate the fan deck a lot more, because it's a lot more accessible, but oh, Windows sorry. was Fun, and he right. he actually put one into the sightlines restaurant, which is that weird restaurant above Windows during that game. He he flexed some power that day. Oh, absolutely! I mean, those were tape measure shots. <laughs> yeah. Over a thousand feet of home runs in a single day. You're having yourself a day. <laughs> absolutely. And, and then, now, of course, our Futurama picks of the week. Okay, so I'm going to start with Roswell that ends well. Uh, oh, man. Didn't that one win an Oscar? Uh, an Emmy, but... Close enough. Close enough, yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, the crew is cast back in time to Roswell, New Mexico, 1947, after Fry puts uh, stovetop popcorn in the ship's microwave while they're watching a neutrino blast. Uh, and it turns of out course. that they are, in fact, the aliens that were found at Roswell, New Mexico, uh, Zoidberg specifically. And, of course, they can't get back because Fry broke the microwave, and microwaves haven't been invented in 1947. Uh, it also features perhaps of my course. favorite two bits ever on Futurama, one where they're testing to see what Zoidberg eats, and they put out the buffet in front of him, and he just goes <laughs> ham wild on it. <laughs> If only I had my wallet. Um, It's free. (laughs) And the second one is when they're doing the vivisection of him. Liver. Take it. I have four. Uh, Stomach contents. (laughs) One deviled egg. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) The same deviled egg. Woo! And not even mentioning the fact that that episode, Fry becomes his own grandfather. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, in the, the picture-perfect Back to the Future parody, Fry becomes his own grandfather, which then has repercussions later on in the series. Of course. And we'll get to that whenever we bring that episode up. That is an all-timer. I mean, you it's got everything. It is the Futurama episode. <laughs> That one is going to be hard to top, yeah. So what are you gonna put what are you giving us this week? I'm going with Amazon Women in the Mood. That's a good one too. That's a good one too. I mean you've got them crash landing on planet Amazonia, you have 
you have Kip and Amy's relationship, you have Zap singing Lola. It's and of course you've got Fen Pewters and you know Snoo Snoo. Death. <laughs> Please stop. The mind is willing, but the body is spongy and bruised. <laughs> Death by Snoo Snoo. <laughs> then the large women. Then the petite women. Then the large women again. And of course, it's got the, the B plot of Zoidberg needs a new shell and he can only afford the generic brand one. Oh, yes, the B plot. Zoidberg <laughs> has a lot of very good B plots. Oh. And of course. You have Bender's relationship with B. Arthur, the femputer, who's actually a fembot in the femputer's man-bot, man-pewter's world. What? <laughs> and in the end, Fry and Zap and Pelvic casts, I had Snoo Snoo. <laughs> Just a great, fun episode with horrible repercussions in real life. <laughs> yeah, well, that's Futurama for you in general. <laughs> Anything else to add before we call this a week? Woo, 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 woo. That is all. How dare you say that about my mother? She was a saint. <laughs> no, that's really all I have on my end. This was another entertaining time talking about baseball and also not baseball. Yeah, so just before we go, remember you could follow the podcast on Twitter. It's at TWI Blurnsball. Let us know if there's anything else you want us to talk about other than, you know, ridiculous movies, Futurama, potentially baseball ever coming back again in the future. Who knows, helpfully. Then why listen to our podcast at all? That's all we talk about. That's fair enough. Listen to our <laughs> podcast. Uh, also, I'm at JMS Morris. I'm at Benjamin K. Bloom, and. Once again, for this week in Blurns Ball, thank you so much for joining us. Farewell from the world of tomorrow.